Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 42, and this is Survivor Week. There are so many great stories of survivorship that are worth sharing. I just recently passed my five-year anniversary. I'm currently stage four, and it's been five years since my initial diagnosis. And when people ask me how I'm doing, the answer is always the same. And it's true. I'm doing wonderful. Life is good. And uh, the last episode... If you have the chance, and if not, please go back and listen to it, where I talked to Dr. Laura Porter, the medical advisor for the Colon Cancer Alliance, and we talked about medical marijuana. And Laura has been now 10 years disease-free. NED is what we call it, no evidence of disease. And she had four occurrences and has now been disease-free for 10 years. And her doctors told her, hey, once you hit the 10-year mark, you can now use the C word, the C standing for cure. So there are so many great stories, one of which I'll be sharing with you on this episode of Survivors. A lot of great information will be made available. Uh, Check the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org this week uh, between May 30th and June 5th, 2016. Go on ccalliance.org. A lot of great events, uh, information being shared as it pertains to Survivor Week. Also, some other exciting events taking place in the colon cancer community during the month of March. Coming up on Wednesday, June 15th for the folks around the Alexandria, Virginia, Washington, D.C. area. On Wednesday, June 15th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Talbot's store in Washington Square, there is a uh, fashion show and a special event taking place and the proceeds from that event, from the sales made, pre-tax sales made during that event, during that time, uh, will go to the Colon Cancer Alliance. So again, that's June 15th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Talbot Store, Washington Square, Alexandria, Virginia. And then we have two undie run walks taking place out west during the month of June. Saturday, June 18th for the folks out in and around Portland, Oregon. Shout out to my buddy, Nathan Drew Allen. I know you're going to be out there getting those steps in, buddy. Wish you all the best. So Saturday, June 18th, Portland, Oregon. And then the following Saturday in Denver, Saturday, June 25th in Denver, Colorado, the Undie Run Walk is taking place. I want to take a minute and talk about the many Um, support services that the Colon Cancer Alliance offers. If you or someone you love has been recently diagnosed and you have not talked to any of the certified patient care representatives, I encourage you to do so. And you can reach out to those folks through the toll-free number Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And their toll-free number is 877 422 2030. Again, the patient support line is 877 422 2030. 
you will be connected to a, one of our certified patient care representatives who can answer questions for you, direct you to resources, even match you up with a buddy like myself. I'm one of the buddy volunteers uh, who can help you and provide some individual uh, support for you. So I encourage you to take advantage of the patient patient support line if you've not done so already. And then we have a whole wonderful online community uh, I don't know how I would have made it through and gotten to where I am today without the wonderful support of the online community that I first discovered five years ago. And five years ago, we had one chat available and now we have five. So let me break it down for you. If you are newly diagnosed or are looking for information specific to managing your side effects, we have a daily online chat from 1130 to noon Eastern time. And right after that is the regular daily chat, which goes from noon to 1 p.m., uh, a chance to meet and chat with other uh, caregivers and survivors. Uh, sometimes we're there looking for support. Sometimes I've been part of these chat groups, and it was just one of those days where everybody just felt like being silly and, and taking a few minutes to laugh and uh, you know have a little distraction. And that again, that daily online chat is from noon to 1 p.m. Eastern time. On Tuesday evenings from 7 to 8 p.m. is the stage forum and friendship chat uh, directed to our stage four uh, patients and caregivers. Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. we host a grief chat for those who are struggling and needing support uh, dealing with the grief of the loss of a loved one. We hope that you can join us on Wednesday evenings from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern time. And then we also have a chat specific to the caregivers, and that is on Thursday evenings from 7 to 8 p.m. So lots of opportunities for support. You can access these online chats through the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org and click on the link that says Get Support, and you'll find the information for the online chat community. Before I get to this week's episode and interview, I want to take a second and thank the folks at H2ORS for supporting the show. If you or someone you're caring for is struggling with hydration, you need to check out H2ORS. It is a uh, drink mix, an electrolyte type drink mix, but unlike the popular sport drinks, it has no sugar, artificial sweeteners or artificial uh, colors, and it is geared towards those folks who are in chemo or have an ostomy or any kind of other condition where hydration has been a challenge. And they've made a special offer available to the listeners of the show, actually two offers. One, you can try two free samples. Just go on their website, which is h2ors.com forward slash sample, and they will send you out a couple samples to try. And then when you're ready to place your first order, use the promo code h2ors.com and you'll get 10% off your first order. So check them out. As I mentioned before, it's Survivor Week, and we kick off Survivor Week with a compelling and really interesting story. I had the pleasure of interviewing Darren Hosier. Darren is one of our Colon Cancer Alliance uh, buddies and advocates. Darren was a, pr a champion professional figure skater and now is a well-known uh, 
nationally known figure skating coach out in the Seattle area. He has a really fascinating and inspiring story to share. Join me now for my conversation with Darren Hosier. Hey, Darren, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm doing very well. Thank you. So um, for our listeners that uh, don't know you, don't know your story, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your background uh, pre, uh, before colon cancer became part of your life. Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Well, I'm a figure skating coach, and I've been doing that for 23 years. Prior to that, I was actually performing in shows in Japan, Mexico, across the country, um, that's pretty much what uh, has been keeping me busy. And actually, in many ways, I attribute to keeping me alive and strong and going forward. Interesting. We'll get more into that in, uh, in yeah. just a little bit. So you, when were you diagnosed, Aaron? I was diagnosed in October of 2012 and uh, initially diagnosed with stage one. Um, and unbeknownst to me with a, uh, just a phone call, you know, follow-up phone call, discovered it was actually stage four, which they really weren't supposed to tell me over the phone. But, uh, yeah, it changed the game a little bit for me once I found that out. I can only imagine. How did you come to be diagnosed in the first place? Well, you know, it's interesting. When you look back, you can really kind of maybe see things in a, with a different lens. But the gist of it was right before I got diagnosed, I became, I became very sick. And even though I may have had little symptoms like that in the past, it would only last maybe a day. But this was a good three days of pretty serious um, abdominal pains, um, abdominal noise. And um, I could tell I was losing weight. Things, weight was coming off pretty quick. And uh, it finally just got to be too much. So I went into, um, a friend actually helped me into a walk-in clinic. They took an x-ray and immediately sent me to see a specialist. They could tell there was, there was a blockage. Um, letting me know probably it was diverticulitis. But come to find out, it, it actually was a tumor. What was your initial reaction when you heard, when you heard that? You know, it was interesting. When, when I left the walk-in clinic and went to the next hospital for the CT scan, the PET scans and all that stuff, um, once I started vomiting nonstop for a very long period of time, I thought, you know, this probably isn't diverticulitis. So um, I went in after that to the gastro, had the sigmoidoscopy, all of this stuff was all happening very quickly. And, and I knew I was probably, um, not that I had to let myself go or let myself um, fall into whatever this may be, but I let myself go. So um, whatever this was going to be, I was just going to accept it and I was going to fight it. And because um, it was a pretty vulnerable situation to have thrown up so much. I was down to 127 pounds at this point. My veins were collapsing. And I get a sigmoidoscopy. So hmm. I had to turn to the doctor and say, you really need to take me out to dinner before we do this. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it lightened the mood. And I said, nurses, please stand back. I'm going to throw up some more. So, uh, you know, I just had to somehow find a sense of humor in the crazy that was happening around me. I can totally relate. Uh, that was kind of my approach, too. Um, did you... 
your background in figure skating and being a competitive athlete, did that play into you, the approach that you took when you were faced with this diagnosis? Diagnosis? I think, it, yeah, I think it had a huge, a huge impact because I was so used to setting goals and so used to training that basically, you know, I worked through most of um, my journey. Um, after one of the procedures, I had to take some time off, but even prior to preparing for HIPEC, I my weight was still so low, I felt that the best way to approach it was to gain weight prior to the procedure. So in six weeks, I gained 26 pounds to prepare for this operation, which I knew I would end up losing weight. And I just felt that if I went in bigger and stronger, it would help me in the long run. And what was the um, treatment plan that was prescribed for you? Sure. Um, I was very lucky to have a great oncology team. Um, Dr. McGee was my initial oncologist, and he he just flat out said, you know, we're going to do um, a round or slash 12 treatments of Fulfox and Avastin. Then I would take a month, I think two months off to heal and prepare for HIPEC, which is heated intraperitoneal chemotherapy. And then after that, um, I was going to do 12 more treatments, actually, of full Fox, which I ultimately didn't do all 12. I ended up only having to do eight more after that. But that was fine because after HIPEC, I thought I would be such a, you know, I'd be so tough and so strong and such a veteran at that point. I didn't realize that chemo at that point was almost exponential. So it was hitting me so much harder than before that uh, they were really good at starting to reduce the doses. And ultimately, we came to the decision that after eight treatments post-HIPEC, we were done. Did you have any kind of resection sur surgery? Well, when they did HIPEC, um, they discovered five spots inside. They did discover that there was a spot on my lung, uh, my, um, not my lung, my liver, and they removed that. But they just had to take that and a little part of my liver off. It wasn't it wasn't a huge that part wasn't so huge. The high pec in itself was kind of huge, but the liver part, uh, they just had to remove a little part of it. And how old were you when you were diagnosed, Aaron? Forty six when I was diagnosed, and currently just a little bit over fifty. And how's your health today? It's it's very well. I, I'm doing very good. Um all scans are clean. Um, I even had to go in, gosh, when everything was all done and we thought we were, you know, out of the woods, uh, October 2014, you know, I'm driving home from a competition and all of a sudden I'm again feeling like that alien is trying to come out and I'm like, uh-oh, what could possibly be going on here? I knew there was no way cancer could have come back that quick, but what happened with some of the scar tissue from the HIPEC procedure, it started to wrap around my small intestine and it was it was creating quite quite a dilemma for me. And I, I actually had to have emergency surgery to have uh, the scar tissue removed. Wow. Yeah, that, that was that was not fun. I can imagine. So uh, on the on the good news front too, uh, did I read collect correctly that uh, you're going to be a model? Yes, I, I am off to Tennessee in a couple of weeks for the um, colander. 
so yeah, it was selected to be part of that. It's it's a, it's an honor, and I'm really really looking forward to it. So for people who are not familiar with the colander, uh, share with them well, if you would. basically, you know, it started out more like an actual calendar itself, but now it's, it's, it's merged more into more of a magazine. And actually it is exclusively more magazine-like. And it just basically features in-depth layouts of young adult survivors. And we share our journeys and our scars. So we, we, we share them and, and, um, and show them off as a badge of honor and not as any kind of shame or trying to hide and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And how did you come to be picked? Well, you know, I, I was following, um, I was following the calling club on um, Instagram and they just had, they just were asking for people to send in, you know, their journeys, their stories, whatever. And I just, thought I would do it. I, I, I didn't really think too much of it. I didn't think I would be selected, actually. So I just sent it in, and um, a couple months ago, I found out they had selected me. That's fantastic. And I understand for people that have been chosen in the past, that it, it winds up becoming quite a uh, fraternity, if you will. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, I've made so many new friends from you know, Facebook and and Instagram from former uh, models and the current ones. And it, it really is a, a deep connection that everyone has. It seems that that has taken part in this, in this. Well, speaking of connections, Darren, t- tell us more about uh, the work that you do. Well, I'm a figure skating coach and I, I work with kids of all ages. Uh, my youngest student now is five. My oldest, probably hovering around 60, but we won't tell anyone that. She probably doesn't want anyone to know that. <laughs> and, and I have to say, you know, a, a huge shout out to to the figure skating community because the outpouring of love and support I received was unimaginable. I mean, I truly at one point was able to uh, attend my funeral without ha- ever having to die because they did this huge benefit for me where you know top skaters from around the country and all of my students and skaters from the entire Pacific Northwest took part in this incredible show which was directed by my best friend Corey Martin and it was it was truly a magical evening that raised quite a bit of money for my um, treatment was that the one that I read about that was hosted by Christy Yamaguchi this is that that is the one yes wow and what was that like to see so many people come out to show their love and support for you? Well, it was very surreal. And in fact, when I arrived, you know, at my workplace, which had been transformed into this ethereal environment, it just had turned into something, not to say that it's not a nice place, but it had really turned into something so beautiful. And to see all these people and all these great skaters, I kind of was like, wow, what, what, what's this all about? Who's this for? I mean, it was hard to wrap my brain around the fact that it was for me. And although you, you may know people care about you and love you and they have your back, but to see it, to see it in that kind of format, it just made it so much more palpable. It, it was quite moving. And so it was a surprise? It wasn't so much a surprise, but you, but I didn't really know, you know, what kind of numbers they would be doing or 
I really didn't quite get how big it had become. Like, this is how my best friend, so she was, you know, in charge of so many of the, so much of the logistics as well as the overall, you know, choreography of many of the, the parts. But I, I remember calling her like a day before saying, oh, you know, we might want to ask the Fred Meyer next door if they have parking space in case a lot of people come. Unbeknownst to me, they'd had like four meetings over how that was going to be taken care of. I mean, I was very clueless as to how big this thing had become. That had to be quite emotional for you. It was very emotional. And, and, and people that didn't even, if they weren't part of it, people from all over the country, my friends and family flew in from all over the country to be there for it. And um, it, it, it was very moving. I'm very fortunate to have such an incredible support system my partner and my family and my friends and work and and everything. I, I'm I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky. Well, that's that's fantastic that you can look at it through that lens. Uh, I admire that. And I gotta gotta imagine too, Darren. You know, you touch so many people's lives just from the coaching and the things that I've read people say about you online. What lessons, particularly for the younger people that you work with, what life lessons do you try to instill in your students? Yeah, you know, basically never give up and, um, you know, set goals and stick to it. I remember when I, I went to see my oncology team, my, my HIPEC team, they were shocked. I had gained 26 pounds in six weeks. And, and, it, and you know, I had hit the gym, too, so it wasn't like I was, you know, just down in the Sundays. You know, I was really working out. And they were just so shocked. And I, and I just said, I'm a figure skater. I achieve goals. It's just second nature to me to do that. And I try to instill that in my students as well to, you know, skating's hard. You know, you fall a lot. And it's all about, you know, getting up and keep going and pushing through. So my journey from being a skater and has helped me in this process, and I hope I've been able to touch my students in regards to being able to handle things in their lives that they might think are insurmountable, but are possible. That's wonderful. So you've taught them to never give up. What have they taught you? Wow. You know, I learn from my students all the time. I mean, I feel... You know, some of my students were very young when I was going through my treatment, and they were very tough and very resilient and very strong. And to see them training for their competitions and then also learning all these numbers for the show and and being okay with me because, you know, I, I would show up to work, and sometimes because of the Avastin, I would have such bad bloody noses. I basically would, you know, I would have to stick, you know, tampons up my nose to keep my nose from bleeding while I was teaching and and instead of them being freaked out they just kind of giggled and thought and were saying oh you know that's what we have to do and we get bloody noses when we compete so it, it didn't freak them out it just made it almost like a new normal for them where they they were able to witness someone you know not giving up and also because of their energy it forced me and pushed me to move forward too did the how did, I'm thinking about ice when I hear you know uh, figure skating yeah. and I'm combining that with my experience with Fall Fox, uh, yeah. uh, particularly oxyplatin. How yeah. in the world did you manage? You know, it was funny because when I first started treatment, I thought I got this. You know, 
I, I'm tough, whatever. I walked into the rink and then I walked out. <laughs> I was like immediate neuropathy, like my fingers, my toes, my even my lips. Like I was not a happy camper. So without even without even thinking or even asking for help, one of my adult students, Maureen, she presents me with electronic heated gloves. So I, I looked a little bit like, you know, Iron Man and I could put them on. I had different settings of temperatures. I had these electric things that could go on my skates. And sometimes I just wear a surgical mask if my lips were kind of starting to kind of curl under because they were so cold. But people just kind of rallied. They just kind of had a solution for me. So I would go in and teach with my electric, you know, equipment and problem was solved. Did the, you know, I know when you skate and, you know, I'm speaking like I'm some sort of an expert. I have been on a pair of skates before, but it requires so much uh, from your core. Did, uh, how did your treatment and the high pack and all that impact your ability to move around the ice well, or did it? Tough. Um, as far as the, the, the initial tumor resection and all that, that, that was, I healed up pretty fast from that. That wasn't too bad compared to high pack. Post high pack, I did have to take five weeks off. And I was very fortunate that my coach, uh, Audrey Whisaker, she actually came in and took care of my kids, my students for, for those five weeks. When I returned, I would teach just from the side of the rink. I wouldn't actually step on the ice. It was still pretty tender. And, um, and then when I finally did actually start teaching again, believe it or not, it actually helped kind of ripped through some of that scar tissue. Uh, it, it really actually helped. I mean, it would feel like I did about 3,000 uh, setups after work, but little by little, it really started to make me feel better. Interesting. I, how does that ability to do exercise throughout the treatment, how did that impact you, not just physiologically, but, but emotionally, I hear so many positive stories. I've shared my own positive stories. I'm just curious to get your take on, you know, what, you know, working up a little bit of a sweat, kind of how that impacts you as you're going through treatment. Right. You know, it just kind of, um, I, I didn't want this cancer to steal my identity or everything about me. So, I mean, I didn't want to be known. Um, I wasn't going to be solely identified by cancer. So if I used to work out or if I used to, you know, if I'm teaching on the ice or if I'm using, you know, harnesses to help these kids with their triple jumps or whatever, I wasn't going to let this stop me from doing that as well. And even though I would do it to a lesser degree, uh, I think uh, emotionally it, it helped me to to try to do as much of what I used to do. I see. And when you think back on, you know, the years... I guess you're coming up on what? Coming up on four years since you were diagnosed. Right. Am I doing the math right? So prior to this, you know, I, I guess said another way, if the uh, Darren before all this happened could see the Darren today, what would he see different about you? Um, well, I think I'm a pretty tough person. I think I, I, I'm I'm very strong. I have to admit that, and I I don't think before I would ever say that about myself. You know, I would never be so bold as to say that, but I, I do believe that about myself. But if I could look 
back on that, Darren, I probably would have some good advice regarding, um, you know, I think there's certain ways I may have not dealt with stress the best in my life earlier on. And um, I think there's certain um, uh, there's certain things in my family that occurred that didn't resonate strongly enough that should have been a trigger for me that did not resonate because of so many other things going on. To be more specific, um, when I came out of the closet, uh, very shortly after that, I came down with a terrible B12 deficiency because I, I was just not really kind of dealing with a lot of things going on with how that all played out. Eventually, that all came around. It was fine. Um, we had some tragedy that occurred in our family. Subsequently from that, my thyroid just kind of stopped working altogether. But because I, as my doctor at the time told me, I looked good, they didn't think anything was wrong until I demanded a blood test, and it showed that my thyroid had completely basically shut down, which really is an autoimmune disorder. Um, I think some of those things uh, laid the groundwork for what they felt when they did um, do tests on my tumor, that it probably was a five to 10 year process that brought me to where I was, where where it ended up being stage four. Uh, so many things were going on that at one point, my, my middle brother in his late 30s, he did have a colonoscopy and two polyps were removed. They were precancerous. Um, this was information I certainly shared with my doctor at the time. You know, it didn't really send off any flags or anything. I'm younger than him, so they really didn't. It, it wasn't taken seriously, and I don't want to blame the doctor. It wasn't taken that seriously by me either, to be quite honest. So I didn't think, wow, you know, um, I'm 33. I better get this colonoscopy now. Like, it just did not have that impact. Where, as if it did. <laughs> This whole thing would have been avoided. Sure, right. it's, it's easy to look back, unfortunately. And, and your your story about the doctor, you know, not taking it seriously—that's uh, a theme I just hear so right. often. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately. Um, so, what else are you doing uh, to support and advocate for the colon cancer community, Darren? Well, with the Colon Cancer Alliance, I've been—I've uh, become a buddy. I think I'm coming up on one year in regards to doing that, which I think is so important because, again, I've been really fortunate with such an outpouring of support and love and and um, just a huge support system. And I couldn't imagine, could not imagine doing this alone or with very little support. And you know the the sad reality is a lot of people don't have support. They don't they don't have a support system at all. And I just feel it's important to to reach out and to do whatever you can do um, to try to connect and help in any way you can. I I couldn't agree more. I I tell people all the time. I don't know what I would have done without the Colon Cancer Alliance. They were the they were the first folks that I found. So I understand. Um, I, I noticed something, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and I, I'd like to get your take on this. When I look at the, 
you know, the people that are involved in the advocacy effort, you're a buddy, I'm a buddy, uh, look at the people that are participate in the Blue Hope Nation Facebook group, and then attending the Live Your Best Life 2015 conference in October of last year, I was kind of amazed, I guess initially, how skewed the population was female. And I was, I was, and I, and in talking to the person I was having this conversation, I said, I think it's kind of a emotional sensitivity thing that, um, in general, it's women that are more comfortable seeking help, talking about it, uh, versus, you know, a lot of men. And, you know, to hear you just say, you know, how do you do that alone? Um, I don't know how you do that alone. So, uh, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on that as far as, you know, being open to, to receiving that help and support and, you know, how some people are and some people aren't. Yeah. I mean, I think the more we talk about it and sometimes you just have to talk about it in a humorous way. I mean, clearly there's nothing funny about cancer, but sometimes a sense of humor is funny in regards to sigmoidoscopies or colonoscopies, anything that can make people talk about it makes it less taboo, I guess, or less scary. And, you know, I mean, I think, I think in, in, in many ways, you know, women may just be more open emotionally that way in regards to talking about things. But I think it's really important that, that, that men do so because it's a preventable disease. And if people do get tested sooner, I mean, even if insurance doesn't cover it, because we know the drama with insurance when it comes to colonoscopies under the age of 50. But I can assure everyone it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> even if you have uh, insurance, you're going to pay a lot of money out of pocket yeah. if we don't get tested. Sure, sure. Well, as we wrap up, Darren, uh, I ask all of the um, survivors that I have the fortune of speaking with, like yourself, uh, the following question, and I'll ask it to you as well. If someone uh, happens to uh, download this podcast and uh, listen to our conversation, who they themselves or someone that they are caring for uh, was recently diagnosed and just, you know, heard our conversation, what message would you like to share with someone in that situation? Well, I would definitely say you have to be an advocate for your own health and and to really seek out information. And that's not just to read all the horrific statistics you'll see online, because I think everyone makes that mistake. They go online and it's just like so grim. But I think it's important to to really seek out knowledge and and if you have to be comfortable with your oncology team, because it's amazing the different opinions you can get depending on who you go to uh, find your treatment plan from. I remember one doctor basically just said not to do HIPEC. It would only extend your life by a little bit. You'll be on systemic chemo the rest of your life. You probably have a good six years to live with a smile on his face. So I thought, okay, well, this doesn't feel right. And I think especially when you're feeling that vulnerable and you're not knowing what to do because of all this stuff coming at you, take it one day at a time, process it. Very easy to get overwhelmed and make sure that you feel comfortable with, with your oncologist. Otherwise, you have to get another one. 
I heard someone, uh, uh, someone who's a big fan of our podcast, uh, shout out to Don, Don Iker. And she said uh, she fired several oncologists. <laughs> yeah, more power, more power to her because it, it's important. I mean, it, it's, it's our lives. It's our journey. We're the ones going through it. And, and I think if, uh, if uh, anyone's feeling like they're being talked down to or they're not being taken seriously, red flag, door, go. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Darren, I really appreciate you taking the time from your day to, to share your story. Uh, I know it will be an inspiration uh, for people who have a chance to hear it. Um, and I uh, want to wish you, uh, most importantly, continued good health, success. Uh, enjoy the photo shoot for the colander coming up in a few weeks. That sounds like a real blast. I can't wait to see that issue. And, uh, and thanks for all that you're doing to uh, make a difference in the colon cancer community by uh, volunteering for the Colon Cancer Alliance as well. Oh, thank you very much. And, and, and right back at you, thank you very much for doing this. You are a huge inspiration. So um, hats off. My pleasure. Brothers in arms, so to speak, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Be well, my friend. Thank you. You Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.